0: The Money Show with Bruce Whitfield on 702. Let's walk the talk on 92.7 and 106FM.
1: Welcome to The Money Show. On this Friday evening, The Money Show is uh, brought to you, of course, by ABSA CIB. ABSA CIB uh, are, are very much involved in the in the Insight Series, of course, and you can download the Insight Series uh, wherever you get your podcasts. ABSA CIB, of course, is a registered credit provider. Welcome to The Money Show. It's good to have you with us on this Friday evening. We're going to be talking about Sassel and the protests that led to it abandoned its annual general meeting. It's the first I can recall of an annual general meeting being abandoned in this way. Times there are a-changing. How a Tilbach-based Cup Classique producer has made it onto a top Italian restaurateur's top wine list. We'll play the Brutal Biz quiz before seven and bring you the best bits of The Money Show. That's all coming up tonight here on The Money Show the money show with bruce whitfield on 702 702 a new report today suggests that the economy has lost billions in investment since 2010 amidst government flip-flopping on its industrial growth plans and it's churned through multiple different economic strategies. Industrial leaders or industry leaders are warning ministers that a more consistency is required to increase investment levels after more than a decade of instability. Now, according to the Institute for Policy Public Policy Research, the constant chop and change of government industrial strategy and the revolving door for senior ministerial appointments has undermined the country's ability to attract investment. That, uh, What country am I talking about? What country am I talking about? Well, I'm talking about the United Kingdom because from the guardian newspaper the in the in public policy research unit pointed out that the 2010 conservative-led governments had appointed nine different business secretaries and seven chancellors resulting in the launching of 11 economic strategies from george osborne's 2011 plan for growth to jeremy hunt's growth plan announced earlier this year now when i started out speaking you may have thought i was talking about south africa but yes i was reading a piece today from the guardian newspaper about the United Kingdom, yes, our frustrations are real, but they're not confined just to us.
0: You're with Bruce Woodfield on seven o two.
1: Seven o two. Well, annual general meetings are generally poorly attended. Resolutions are normally voted through without too much fuss. No such luck, however, for Sassel today. This is what today's disruptions at the Sassel AGM sounded like. Noisy and cluttered and disruptive, the disruption by a group aligned with Extinction Rebellion Rebellion leading the meeting had to be cancelled and had to be drowned and and drowned out the chief executive fleetwood Krobler's address tracy davies is a less voluble activist but an activist nevertheless she is executive director at just share i think this is the first annual general meeting disrupted in this way and to the point tracy davies where it's actually had to be abandoned
2: Hi, Bruce. Certainly the first one in South Africa uh, that I've ever come across, yes. Um, In some respects, given the nature of Sassel's business, it's probably quite surprising that they haven't faced this kind of disruption before. Um, But it was cancelled very quickly, which was extremely unfortunate because it was cancelled before shareholders had the opportunity to vote or to engage with management and the board.
1: Are you suggesting that this um, this particular protest actually played into the hands of management who were <laughs> facing for the first time from institutional investors, from the people who invest in their company, um, they were going to face uh, obstruction to some of their plans anyway? Actually, the activists may very well have undermined the real fight against climate change.
2: Yeah, unfortunately, Bruce, that is one way of looking at it. And as you mentioned, I mean, there really had been a a series of extraordinary steps taken by big institutional investors in the last 10 days or so, particularly Old Mutual Investment Group and 91, both pre-declaring their votes on Sassel's climate change resolution which to my knowledge has not happened before in this country on any resolution Um, both saying that due to a lack of progress and or a lack of detail in in Sassel's climate change plan they would be voting against that resolution. Now of course it's a non-binding advisory resolution but nevertheless that is an extraordinarily significant thing to happen in the South African corporate space where as we know investors like to or far prefer to have these kinds of conversations with management behind closed doors.
1: Uh, yes, and, they've, and what Old Mutual uh, did was they actually went public with this a couple of weeks ago. They said, look, we've studied the 500 pages of Sassel's uh, integrated annual report, the 500 pages <laughs> of the 2023 integrated annual report, the sustainability report, the climate change report, the integrated annual report, and we don't think that they're actually even meeting their own targets. So Old Mutual has put up their hand and said, we're going to vote against them at the AGM. 19 uh, Came through and said, We're also not very happy with this stuff. We're going to vote against it as well. And when your own shareholders are voting against you at an AGM, that undermines your credibility and your authority as a business, doesn't it?
2: It does. And on an issue which, of course, for Sassel is the defining issue of its future, you know, can this company transition to a low carbon world or is it? a potentially stranded asset. And that, of course, is something that its investors should be extremely highly focused on because those asset managers invest the money of people like you and me and our pension funds, and they need to be highly alert yep. to whether or not uh, that investment is sustainable in the long term. Um, so, you know, they have also been, it must be said, engaging with SASL for many years. This is not something that uh, that just jumped out of the blue. They have been asking SASL for details and information on this plan for a long time, And, you know, Cecil talks a very good game about its commitments, but those commitments are simply not matched by action on the ground in the real world. And finally, investors are starting to understand that these conversations are not moving us fast enough or far enough to where we need to be.
1: Half the problem I see in terms of this ESG world, Tracy, is that it speaks a language that the rest of us don't speak. I think you speak that language, but we don't speak that language. Um, They make big commitments. We'll reduce our our emissions by 30% by 2050, we'll reach net zero by 2050. Um, And I think if you ask 99% of people on the street what net zero actually meant, they wouldn't know what it meant. They kind of know it's a good thing and we must go for that net zero thing, but nobody really understands it. My loved... And I don't know, if, I found it very twee, I found it very cringy, I found it incredibly badly acted, but I loved what Apple did earlier this year. What they did was translate ESG into something quite real. They made a video which they posted at the launch of their most recent product suite, and they had a well-known American figure pretending to be Mother Nature, and Mother Nature invades an Apple XCO meeting. Just have a listen to the way in which it played out. I'm curious as to whether you think this is a far more constructive way of dealing with the ESG issue, really bringing it down to a way that most of us can understand. Have a listen to Mother Nature taking on the Apple Exco team. Mother Nature.
3: Mother Nature, welcome to Apple. How was how the weather getting in?
2: The weather was
1: however I wanted it to be. Let's cut to the chase. In 2020, you promised to bring Apple's entire carbon footprint to zero by 2030. Henry David Thoreau over here said we have a profound opportunity to build a more sustainable
0: future for the planet we share. I think our 10 o'clock said the same thing.
4: They all do.
1: All right. This is my third corporate responsibility gig today. So who wants to disappoint me first? It's fabulous. I mean, I'm sure you watched that video, Tracy, but it just it was it was it was cringy, but it brought the issues of climate change, the issues of ESG, the issues of environment, social and governance, into a language and into a space that was accessible for the rest of us.
2: Yes, and I think that that's absolutely essential because you, you know I'm sure you're familiar with the fact that even climate scientists are, sort of beating themselves up um, around their failure to communicate this challenge over the past 20 or 30 or 50 years. And in the corporate space, it's the same, you know, and that the questions that mother nature asks Apple in that advert, you know, what about this? What about this? What about this? And they are able to say, I don't know the extent to which this is corporate spin or not, but you know, they are able to say, yep, we've done that. We've sorted that, we've complied with that commitment. We've reached that target. And that's what's not happening with sassel they're not reaching those targets i mean i went back and looked at 20 years of sassel's sustainability reporting for my sins and they have been uh, committing to significant reductions in greenhouse (laughs) gas emissions since 2005. they've been saying the same thing since 2005 but because the shareholders are only interested in the next three months or the next six months and might look at, you know, what the company's saying about what's happened over the past year, they've been able to repeatedly pull the wool over everyone's eyes about the fact that they're making progress, they're making progress, they're making progress, but they really are not making progress. And it has severe so implications t- yeah. for
1: our economy and for the Absolutely. planet. And for our children, for goodness sake. I mean, that's really all we really care about ultimately. Um, Here is the thing, Tracy. I mean, I I really, I'm not big on disruption and gluing yourself to paintings and spray painting walls and nonsense. Um, But today's disruption, I think, was kind of called for. It's drawn attention to an issue in a way that the constructive adult interaction perhaps doesn't. And perhaps Cecil may be inspired to do a little bit better next time.
2: I hope so. And I, you know, I understand your and other people's frustration with these protests, but these people are desperate. They feel such despair, at the lack of progress. And so if you want to stop these protests, you've got to demonstrate that you're serious about this and that you're taking steps to do the things you've committed to do.
1: Exactly. Say what you're going to do, then do it. And then tell us that you've done it and prove that you've done it and you'll be left alone in peace. Thank you, Tracy Davies, Executive Director at Just Share. Bruce Whitfield is brought to you by APSA CIB. Action-led insights in retail's golden quarter this Black Friday to drive collaborative impact through the APSA Insights series. APSA is a registered FSP money show explainer this evening is looking at a really complicated issue the battle between the united states and china over microchips and it's part of a much bigger war between the two countries a trade war united states government has been limiting supply of some microchips to china on the basis that they're worried that this could be used by China to amplify their artificial intelligence capabilities. Isaac like Werdendahl is the investment strategist at Old Mutual. It's been building for a long time and it's come to a head fairly recently. Isaac, like, what is the, the the backdrop to the story? Why are the Americans so concerned about China and what it might do with microchips?
0: Yeah, well, the the basic story is that as the world is evolving, as technology is evolving, as military technology is evolving, um, these little microchips, semiconductors are just becoming much more important, um, particularly, you know, since this early this year, we've seen uh, sort of breakthrough announcements in artificial intelligence, which, um, you know, to, to to build those artificial intelligence models, you require massive computing power and the very cutting-edge microchips. Um, you, you know, so I think it's become apparent in in military circles um, as well as sort of general economic policy circles that having a lead, having an advantage in producing the the very high-tech uh, microchips is important for for U.S. Natu- national interests and. Uh, one way to preserve that lead is to make sure that China doesn't get its hands on on uh, on those uh, semiconductors.
1: Which is why the standoff over Taiwan is so interesting. When Nancy Pelosi went there last year, of course, the Chinese started playing war games in the South China Sea and showing their military might and basically suggesting that if they wanted to take over Taiwan, They could and they would, and there was nothing that anybody else could do about it. I think they were emboldened by the early stages of Vladimir Putin's attack on Ukraine. Your province is your province, my province is my province, and I see Taiwan as my province. Um, That's kind of gone down a little bit, and this week we saw the Chinese Premier Xi Jinping and Joe Biden having what seemed to be fairly cordial relationships, coming out of a very frosty phase. I wonder if we are making any real progress in the standoff.
0: I, uh, I hope so. I think I was quite encouraged by, by this meeting. Um, not that anything has particularly changed in the sort of structural forces that, that drive the competition between these two economies or in kind of the domestic political you know drivers of this conflict. But just the mere fact that, that these two gentlemen are talking face to face, I think is already, is already a sign that at least there is a, a realization on both sides that we don't want this thing escalating out of control. Um, you know, we don't want the fact that Nancy Pelosi visits Taiwan to suddenly you, you know, lead to potentially come some sort of you know, accident where where uh, you know guns are drawn. So so it was encouraging. Um however I think I think the, the, the kind of the competition and the rivalry between these two countries will not will not go away. And and for instance, you you've seen nothing from the US in terms of relaxing its uh it's restrictions on exporting microchips and other advanced technologies to China. That very much remains in place. Um, and just, just for the listeners' sake, I mean, the reason Taiwan is so important is because Taiwan is the place where most of the world's very, very high, very advanced microchips are produced.
1: Exactly, and that is, I mean, it becomes a huge strategic asset. It's a, I mean, China sees it as a province, but really what it's going for is the factories that make microchips. Certainly, that's my reading of it. Is it yours?
0: Um, I think there are bigger issues at play, and I think one of the things perhaps that China's realized is that if they do invade Taiwan um you know Taiwan Taiwanese will be able to disable that factory very, very quickly. I mean, the reality is that these these facilities that produce microchips, especially the advanced microchips, are incredibly sophisticated. I mean, if there's a single speck of dust anywhere, you know you're causing you're yeah. causing a massive massive backlog in production. So you know a military invasion, I think will pretty much put that facility out of uh, out of commission for for a very long time. Um,
1: and, and I mean, really damage the global economy because these flippant microchips are everywhere. One of the reasons why there was a shortage of cars after COVID is because new cars have got like a thousand microchips in them, all of these little things hidden away in the bodywork. And, you know, if we don't get the microchips out of Taiwan, the world gets into trouble, doesn't it?
0: Exactly. I think that's a lesson that we all learned through COVID is just how reliant we are on these chips. They're not just made in Taiwan. I mean, there are factories all over the world. It's just Taiwan yeah. is... The, the leading producer of the leading edge chips, but one of the things that happened now is is that the American government, in a rare show of bipartisanship, the American Congress passed a law to pump billions and billions of dollars into creating facilities in the U.S., um, including the very advanced facilities that are run by the Taiwanese. So so there the Americans have taken a very clear stance: we want to be able to produce the, this, these very very crucial components in our own backyard um, and where we can do so securely and
1: safely. Isaac, thank you for your deep insight this evening. Our Money Show explainer, investment strategist, at Old Mutual, Isaac Wordendal. The Money Show.
0: The Markets
1: yeah onto markets we go and uh, very happy no doubt gary mcnamara portfolio manager at sunlum private wealth lots of positive signals coming through from central banks this week and from statist- statistics organizations in different parts of the world uh, very firmly suggesting inflation is the worst is behind us and that the next move in interest rates is not up but down when it comes gary mcnamara and that has certainly put markets onto a much better footing this friday than last
3: Absolutely, Bruce, and it's put our market into positive for the year. So it's something that the market was looking for for a long time. It's just the peak in interest rates. We had a couple of false signs that it was getting to the top, but, uh, you know, the inflation was really quite sticky, but now it does seem like we've got to the peak in inflation. Uh, The CPI numbers out, I think it was about 10 days ago, in America really set the cat. Uh, forward and now we're starting to see people talking about uh, interest rate cuts early next year which is exactly what the market needs. They need certainty and I think uh, it'll be quite good. It doesn't mean that economically it's going to be an easy time because inflation comes with lower consumer demand and that but the markets have taken it. It's been a very nice bounce from the bottom.
1: And we've seen a re-rating of some very significant South African companies.
3: Absolutely, Bruce. Uh, you know, locally we've been quite cheap for a while for the reasons I think a lot of people realize that infrastructure uh, support from a government point of view has been quite Uh, disappointing and and there's been limited growth in the local economy but there's been a lot of dual listed that really make their earnings from overseas markets and they've done extremely well uh, from that perspective Uh, and yeah I I think the market's also been looking for a recovery with interest rates and commodities have been under a lot of pressure this year uh, and they had a very nice bounce over the last week or 10 days as well with the peaking in interest rates.
1: Sasol today, the AGM, disrupted and cancelled and called off. Uh, At the same time, they've announced a replacement for Fleetwood Hrubla, the chief executive. They'll be replacing him on the 1st of April. His successor is going to have to deal with, uh, what, about 50 or 60 years of pollution legacy.
3: (laughs) They do seem to now to shoot themselves in the foot, unfortunately. It looks extremely cheap as a share, Sasol, but management hasn't really done a great job over the last 10 years. First of all, overcapitalizing on the Lake Charles, which is a chemical business in America. And, and you know, with the strong oil price and, and weaker rand that we've seen over the last year, you would have thought the Sassel price would have been a lot better. And now you've got, uh, you know, initially started by Old Mutual saying that management shouldn't be rewarded for not not committing to climate change they you know they put a lot of things out there i'm all for shoulder activism and, and and support that but it sounded like it became a bit messy today i don't know the details but there's been quite a lot of issues and it's quite difficult for sassel to really get it right you know coal is their base base metal or all that that supplies into their their um refining capacity and that so it looks very cheap but management hasn't done a great job over the last 10 years but uh, let's see how it goes from here. but shareholder activism is definitely coming to the fore
1: You've got a big, strong neck. I want you to put it on the line this evening. Do we get a little pre-Christmas rally? Do we get a little bit of pre-Christmas joy? Do we get a little bit of jingle bells or jingle tills or jingle portfolios coming through, Gary? Um, Or have we seen the best of the bounce that's come out of the expectation of a, a better inflation and interest rate environment in 2024?
3: Yeah, I don't know if it's the neck or the gut, but uh, historically the last four years, we've <laughs> definitely had an October, November, December rally. And now with the peaking in interest rates, uh, I'm going to rub Buddha and say that, uh, yes, I think we're going to get an end-of-year rally. It's not going to be easy economically next year uh, from a market perspective, but end-of-year rallies my call, and then we'll take on next year when it arrives.
1: Gary McNamara, thank you. Gary is a portfolio manager at Sunlum Private Wealth, and uh, yeah, the markets today up 184 points, seventy three thousand nine hundred and twenty. Not as good as the big bounce we saw in Europe, but better than the sideways movement we're seeing in the U.S. this evening. We got oil below eighty dollars a barrel as well. That was to explain sassel's two percent decline today to 225 rand that's got nothing to do with the agm the agm is a bit of a sideshow to a much bigger issue of course which is um the failure by sassel to stick to its own targets and the frustration by investors holding them to accounts this is the money show i am bruce whitfield it is time for eyewitness news at half past six
0: 702 bruce is on the money show
1: Here's an interesting development. Amazon is about to experiment with selling cars on the internet. Now, there's an idea. Um, when they launched, there was one of the first biographies I read about Amazon was called The Everything Store, and that was the story of Jeff Bezos and how he wanted to sell everything. Started out with books and then has moved into practically everything except so far, cars, really. Uh, buyers in the US soon will be able to browse and perch vehicles from dealers on Amazon. Uh, that'll start next year. Um, and, yeah, Amazon says... Plan to change the way it's working. Uh, the selection initially is going to be limited to Hyundai. They've uh, teamed up with Hyundai there. Online car sales, a tiny fraction of the car market, of course. But imagine if Amazon gets this right. Imagine if they get it right in South Africa. They're starting here next year. They won't be doing cars anytime in a hurry. But if you're in the car retail business and Amazon starts, you're going to be, I, I think, apprehensive. That's probably the best way of putting it, about the way in which the <laughs> the car market will evolve. The money show is brought to you by ABSA CIB. They're driving impactful action led insights through the insights series. ABSA is a registered fsp well on the next money show dr cheryl calder she is a specialist in visual awareness she consults to sports teams about making them think quicker and get reflexes to ball movements and can help you improve your driving as well she's amazing alex parker the editor of business day on our book reviews and the ceos of netcare and omnia on results plus of course all the other big business and money stories of the day Next time on The Money Show.
0: The Money Show. The Friday File. The
3: Friday File.
1: Our Friday File this evening and looking forward to welcoming our Friday File guest on The Money Show this evening because we're going to be talking wine, but wine with a difference tonight. It's sparkling wine. It's this time of the year where you really should be stocking up because uh, the French call it champagne, the Spanish call it cava, the Italians prosecco, we call it cup classique. And Rudiger Gretchel is the cellar master and technical director at Krona, Krona. Is a farm out in the Tilbach area, and they've managed to get their sparkling wine, their Cup Classique, onto a top wine list for an Italian master chef, literally. Um, There's a legend, Riddiger, about the story around Krona, uh, family-owned estate. They got a new detergent, the legend goes. They washed out the cup classic bottles, and the detergent was so powerful, it killed the yeast in the fermentation, and it caused absolute disaster for years of vintages. I wonder whether that is... 100 percent true two it led to a change in ownership and three you guys have bounced back quite spectacularly from disaster it would seem good evening
4: hi uh, good evening bruce and thank you for talking to me yeah there is there's a lot of truth to that legend um the to a younger and farm where we grow our grapes of the tuba valley dates back to 1710 and has been um very much in uh, direct lineage of the Crona family for Eight generations, the Cronus in the late eighties decided to embark on making bottle fermented sparkling wine, a cup classique, as we call it. And, um, in with the two, uh, the 1990 and the 1991 vintage, the second fermentation in the bottle didn't take place. And you're absolutely right. It was a problem. It appears to be a problem. Um, that was with a glass where the glass company used a poisonous gas. Um, luckily, we don't do that anymore. To blow our glass, <laughs> um, yeah, doing the doing the cleaning process, and then the yeast, being obviously very sensitive, did not um, survive. Hence, the second fermentation didn't play uh, take place. So the Kronus ended up with having two vintages of wine that just didn't have any bubble in it. Um, and uh, yeah, needless to say, uh, it was a it wasn't a very happy ending. It went from one court case to the next until it ended up in the high court in America if I understand correctly and um, at wow. the end of the day it didn't go into the favour of the cruelness which um, unfortunately did lead to um, to a very unhappy ending um, but on the other side like you also right, rightfully mentioned um, gave us an opportunity 12 years ago to um, kind of Buy out a very old derelict farm with a great history and a great brand name, and uh, we have uh, kind of reimagined it in the last ten years, twelve years, and uh, is uh, is the farm is uh, kind of uh, replanted. The buildings are mostly renovated. It's become a really beautiful place, and uh, South Africans fell in love with Krone again, which we are obviously very happy and. Um, excited about and grateful
1: is the focus entirely is is the focus entirely on MCC nowadays because it used to be sort of night harvest wines and semi-sweet wines and steins and beautifully presented and marketed the to a younger salon to young friends I think it would be translated as is it purely MCC nowadays
4: It it, it predominantly is. You're absolutely right. In the 70s and 60s, 60s, 70s and 80s, it was predominantly still wines um, that were selling and produced. Uh, They were great brands, Uh, brands like Chandleral and TJ39. PP was also there. Stop Um, it. um...
1: That that was my gateway, my gateway wines. (laughs) So they were very easy to drink. They were sort of semi-sweet, not too harsh on the palate, very gentle. But now, let's get into the focus
4: of this because you come man mr kroner he, he to, was a legend he yes. um, very much uh, was uh, the first to do colds um cold fermentations on white wines which um obviously made spectacular wines in those days and uh yeah it's 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 it really is an amazing place with uh with a lot of history behind it wonderful
1: let's get to the present then uh, a, 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 a celebrated restaurateur a guy who is behind multiple michelin-starred uh, restaurants has discovered your cup classic massimo botura how did massimo botura discover cup Classique from krone in tilbach of all places <laughs> how did that happen
4: yeah massimo Botura, he is uh, so if you if you manage to um be number one of the top 50 restaurant list um, in the world, you get onto the list which they call the best of the best list. It sounds a little bit like um, Top Gun and um, I guess Massimo is um, the Top Gun because he managed to get on this list twice already. Um, and then, uh, with, uh, with a restaurant called, um, Osteria Franciscana, he had three star Michelin's in that restaurant. He then collaborated with the CEO of Gucci, Marco Bizzari, who is an old childhood friend of his. And they opened four restaurants called the Gucci Osteria, where they have got one in Florence in Italy, one in Beverly Hills, and also one in Tokyo and in Seattle. Um, we just got fortunate, I think, um, The uh, these guys are tastemakers, um, uh, Bruce, they keep on looking for new things, they're very innovative, they are very collaborative in how they like to work and find new things and experience um, with new things. And uh, we have ventured out with Corona in the last three to four years um to kind of uh play around in the international market a little bit and started exporting our cup classics and uh you know from a Kruona point of view we do a lot of collaboration on the south african side as well with mostly artists and uh, musicians um and fashion also so it just one thing led to the next uh, massimo tasted our wines he was blown away by the quality and the kind of intricacies of their flavors. And uh, he uh, wanted to pair his food with, with uh, two of our cup classics
1: it's really interesting isn't it because i mean traditionally you've got these high end restaurants that will have only the very best wines only the very best champagnes they're unlikely to put in a cava or a prosecco or a cup classique. here's an italian guy with an italian themed restaurant in multiple destinations around the world and he's putting Cup Classique on a menu. You would think he would have a bias towards Prosecco. What is it about these particular <laughs> Cup classics You've got the Corona Amphora, the Blanc de Blanc, so the Chardonnay based uh, sparkling wine, the Rose, um, the dry Rose as well from Corona, which has made it onto these lists. What is it about those that sort of amplifies the food that he produces? Because clearly he must see a match.
4: Yeah, no, right. So what you see happening here is that we've been making cup classique in South Africa now for the last 50 um, odd years. Um With Krone, you know, we've been producing cup classique now for the last 36 years. And I think we're just starting to, um the world is starting to take notice of the quality. Um, from a Krone point of view, we like kind of pushing the envelope. We like being very innovative. So the Kruon Amphora Blanc de Blanc, for example, is Blanc de Blanc is a hundred percent um seed made from the Chardonnay grape. Um this yep. is our most natural wine. So the idea here is that once we press the Chardonnay grapes from a specific vineyard, we um, let the juice ferment by its own yeast that grow on the on the grapes themselves so it doesn't get inoculated with a commercially cultivated yeast strain so it's a natural fermentation the wine then spends that fermentation happens in a clay amphora Um, the idea of the clay amphora is that it can go through the second fermentation where you break down it's a bacterial fermentation where you break down the acidity to soften the wine again and also you know wine has been coming with us for humankind for the last six thousand years it has shaped culture. It has ha- it's shaped humankind. And that is the traditional vessel to, to ferment mm. and store wine in. Um, so put all of that together. Um, we ended up making a kind of South Africa's first Amphora naturally fermented cup classique. Sure. Um, which is an unbelievable individual taste. The wine's very light. It's got, um, like a fine chalkiness, uh, with it, with a nice kind of lemon, um, lemon line running through it. And uh, uh, Massimo learned, um, I don't know if you ever heard of a restaurant called El Bulli, just outside of Barcelona yep. in Spain. And um, Ferran Adria, the chef of El Bully, um, he essentially invented the molecular kitchen. Um, and Massimo worked uh, under Ferran for a few years. So it is all about finding... Um, a uh, specific taste and, and purity in in the in the food and the flavor of the food and we've been making wine for 6000 years mostly because it's an enhancer of flavor um that that is um, being yeah. enjoyed with food together so these combinations just work extremely well the other wine he listed was our cruena rosé which is a blend of the pinot noir grape and the chardonnay grape Noir gives you a lot more of these cherry and um, strawberry-like flavors. It's a lot more fruity in flavor. So he uses this wine mostly to pair again with his more fresher flavors and um, more fruit-driven flavors because it just just works so well.
1: Wonderful insights. Thank you, Rudiger, very much for sharing with us this evening. Rudiger Gretschel, who is the Cellar Master and Technical Director at Krona, finding themselves on uh, some of the world's most... Uh, prestigious wine lists the gucci osteria di massimo Bottura collection um which is wonderful to see and it all comes out of tilbach uh, from tragedy has emerged uh, some uh, sort of little green shoots literally of hope in that particular on that particular label. I have been giggling today at the sucking up to the president. Happy birthday Mr. President Sir uh, Ramaphosa today I think the presidency missed out uh, on an opportunity to humanize the president to sort of take off the edge a little bit um, I think there's, they wanted a hashtag happy birthday SA president or something. I wish they could have just said happy birthday Matamela or something just humanize him but anyway it is his birthday and he'll cry if he wants to. Uh, But I saw the post office also tweeted, happy birthday, Mr. President. And that predictably has brought the wags out, saying, well, they could have posted him. Oh, no, they couldn't send him a card, could they? Because they're broken. (laughs) So, yes, the president's not going to get a card, is he? even from the post office itself uh, brutal biz quiz time on a friday night 11 883 21 567 i'd like to know the name of the london-based bank that has paid more than 40 million rand to make rand rigging allegations go away a london-based bank comes the second to try and make the bad smell of rand rigging disappear what is the name of that london-based bank give us a call 11 8830702 021-446-0567 let's play the brutal biz quiz this friday night the money show
0: with bruce whitfield on 702 702
1: Time for the Brutal Biz Quiz this Friday night, 11 883 The London-based bank Moyo in Boxburg. The London-based bank that has paid 40 million rand to make rand-rigging allegations disappear.
3: Hi, Bruce. It is uh, the Standard Chartered Bank.
1: Standard Chartered, absolutely right. It comes hot on the heels of Citibank. Citibank paid in March 2017. Standard Chartered paying this week. Uh, the allegations are 13 years old. They're just another 40 banks to go. Uh, employees of which global coffee chain are staging what they call a Red Cup rebellion? Which global coffee chain is facing strike action? Uh,
3: no, unfortunately, I, I don't know that one. But... <laughs>
1: Uh, but thank you for playing. Thank you for playing uh, very much, uh, Moyo, this evening. Doctor in Alberton, which coffee chain is facing a red cup day? Hello, hello, Sorry, uh, can
3: doctor. You question: I was, I, was, I was answering for the first one. Which can you question?
1: Which global coffee chain is facing a red cup rebellion by its staff? Uh, I think it's Vida. You you? Um, they do have Red Cups, but they're not global and they're not having a rebellion. So thank you, Doctor in oh. Alberton. Uh but no. Larato, let's try you this evening. Um, do if you can help me. Just get uh doctor off the line. That's what the doctor ordered. Uh we order the doctor away and we get Larato up this evening. Larato, which global coffee chain is facing a Red Cup rebellion? Oh, Lerato doesn't know, and so it's gone. Imtiaz in Joburg. Hi, Bruce.
0: Is it Starbucks?
1: Uh, Exactly. How many other global coffee chains do you know? I, I would just have guessed Starbucks, because that's the only one I know. Thousands of unionized Starbucks employees walked off the job an annual promotion in which the coffee chain gives out reusable cups to customers who order holiday drinks. They call it the Red Cup Rebellion. Uh, Simon Baloy is taking over from Fleetwood hrobler as chief executive of which disrupted company, MTS. Yes, Cecil. It would be Cecil. Makes you the wizard of the Brutal Biz <laughs> Quiz this evening. Well done to you, Imtiaz. Congratulations, and thank you for coming through and playing, and thank you to everybody else who wanted to play, but Imtiaz. Stole the show, stole the show, stole the cup, stole the uh, invisible money show floating trophy for the brutal biz quiz. <laughs> Coming up after Eyewitness News, of course, it is time for the best bits of the money show, including that interview I promised with David Tall and some really wonderful insights also from the CEO of 91, Hendrik de Toy, plus a whole bunch of other stories too that we will reshare after Eyewitness News.
4: The Money Show with Bruce
1: Whitfield was brought to you by APSA Corporate and Investment Banking, bringing you award-winning trade and working capital funding solutions to unlock the full potential of your business story. APSA is a registered FSP.